Today's reading is Acts 17. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he declared. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few leading women. The Jews, however, became jealous, so they brought in some troublemakers from the marketplace, formed a mob, and sent the city into an uproar. They raided Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas, hoping to bring them out to the people. But when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men, who have turned the world upside down, have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king named Jesus. On hearing this, the crowd and city officials were greatly disturbed, and they collected bond from Jason and the others, and then released them. As soon as night had fallen, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if these teachings were true. As a result, many of them believed, along with quite a few prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that Paul was also proclaiming the word of God in Berea, they went there themselves to incite and agitate the crowds. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy remained in Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens, and then returned with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply disturbed in his spirit to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles, and in the marketplace with those he met each day. Some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also began to debate with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others said, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was proclaiming the good news of Jesus and the resurrection. So they took Paul and brought him to the Areopagus, where they asked him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you are bringing some strange notions to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. Now all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing more than hearing and articulating new ideas. Then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and examined your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship as something unknown, I now proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands. Nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands. God intended that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said. We are his offspring. Therefore, being offspring of God, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by man's skill and imagination. 
Although God overlooked the ignorance of earlier times, he now commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. But when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to mock him. But others said, we want to hear you again on this topic. At that, Paul left the Areopagus. But some joined him and believed, including Dionysus, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others who were with them. This is God's Word. Yesterday we read about Paul's venture into Greece. Today's reading, in Acts 17, continues to chronicle Paul's Grecian mission. This chapter begins with Paul's evangelistic efforts in Thessalonica. We read about that in verses 1-14. through While he was there, Paul found people who were ready to receive the gospel and others who were ready to persecute him and his team. As he always did, Paul started presenting the gospel to the Jewish people in every city, then expanded his witness out to the Gentiles. We can see that in verse 2, verse 4, verse 10, verse 12, and verse 17. After leaving Thessalonica, Paul went to Athens, according to verses 15 through 34, but not because he was planning to preach the gospel there. Instead, He was waiting there for his teammates, Silas and Timothy, who were supposed to get there as soon as possible, according to verse 15. While in Athens, Paul did speak to the Jewish people who lived there in verse 17, but he also found a secular audience for his message in the marketplace, according to verse 17b, and on the hill called Areopagus, according to verse 19. This passage gives us a glimpse into how Paul presented Christ to Gentile non-believers. Notice that he did not seek common ground with these men. Rather, he used their altar to an unknown God, according to verse 33, as a starting point for his message, but quickly moved to direct confrontation by saying that they were ignorant of the very thing they worship, according to verse 23b. He told them that the true God, the creator God, did not reside in man-made structures, according to verse 24, or need food from human hands, according to verse 25. Furthermore, he chided them for thinking that man-made statues had any significance for knowing and worshiping God, according to verse 29. Then he moved to preaching repentance, judgment, and the resurrection of Christ from the dead, according to verses 30 and 31. Of all the controversial things Paul said, the resurrection of the dead was the one that seemed to create the strongest negative reaction among his listeners, according to verse 32. This is not at all the only place where people objected to his teaching that Christ rose from the dead. Yet Paul never shied away from the resurrection, nor did he shy away from saying that God is invisible rather than an idol. In other words, he didn't try to accommodate the truth to what the secular audience thought was true. He didn't downplay key aspects of our faith in order to appease and appeal to secular people. Instead, he went straight to the truths of the Christian faith that would be the most controversial. That approach is quite a bit different than the way that many of us talk about God. When we talk about God, we may be tempted to avoid the supernatural altogether and just stick to talking about Jesus and what he can do for you. But the reason that Paul didn't retreat from the controversial aspects of the gospel is that he knew that believing the gospel required God's supernatural gift of faith, not a group of secular arguments. The point for us to emulate here is not to minimize the difficult points of the gospel, like the resurrection, for instance, but rather to feature them in our presentation of the gospel. When we do that, 
We are relying on God's power to save people, not our ability to argue people into assenting that Jesus is the Christ. It takes a supernatural act of God to save anyone. And so if we try to avoid the parts of the gospel that we think might be offensive to modern man, we are showing that we don't truly believe that God can do the supernatural or that God will do the supernatural in salvation. But when we go straight to the hard parts of the gospel, if God is working in the life of that person and drawing that person supernaturally to himself, then the gospel will do its work and save them. So I hope you'll keep that in mind today as you have opportunities, perhaps, to give the gospel message. And if you found this devotional helpful, would you consider signing up to receive them in your email every day? Go to dailypbj.com slash subscribe if you'd like to do that. Also, I'm looking for some financial support on a monthly basis to help me pay the expenses of this work, as well as to make more content like this. And so if you'd like to, and so if you'd like to be part of that, go to dailypbj.com slash support. Finally, please share this with someone who might grow from it and might find it useful in their own Christian life. May God bless you today. I hope you have a great day. We'll see you next time.